This episode of Never Work Alone is brought to you by Collide, a new and better way to create deeper connections with others using shared ideas and complementary skills. Using Collide, you can connect with people who have the skills you need to make your ideas happen. For early access, sign up at www.collideapp.com. That's C-O-L-L-I-D-E-A-P-P.com. Welcome to our show. I'm Evan. I'm Chris. And we're going to be talking to freelancers on this podcast. No, we're going to be talking to freelancers, about freelancers, with people who hire freelancers. It's all about freelancing. That's right. We want to get the best stories, the best pieces of advice, best things you can do to get hired out here in the Bay Area where we work. The do's and don'ts and the horror stories that you, the juicy horror stories you just can't pass up. I'm new to freelancing. I came into it at the end of last year, which was 2016. Chris is uh, much more experienced been, than that. Uh, I've been freelancing for 12 years, 2005, and I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. I have owned seven businesses, which also means I have failed at six. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I have owned one business outside of my own, which was a failed clothing enterprise, but I uh, have Working the, as an editor now in the film industry as what I've stayed at, I, I don't really dabble too much outside of editing nowadays. I've kind of use that as my primary uh, focus. So you learned uh, lesson number one, which is specialize? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You go to film school, they teach you every single thing under the sun. You walk out, I'm a filmmaker, and no one hires you. Yeah, because you're not a filmmaker yet. You're a film enthusiast. You have lots of passion and no clue what you're going to do with your life. But, of course, you want to be a director because everybody wants to be a director. Everybody wants to be a director, and nobody wants to hire a director. So the best thing to do when you want to be a, your own director, creative director, your own artist, right, is to go freelance, go start your yeah, own company. You do it myself. Call yourself something other than your own name. Make it bigger than you, and all of a sudden now you're a business owner. You start using we all the time, even though there's only one of you. <laughs> start telling people that you got an office, but they can't go back to it. So this show, realistically, we want to provide advice uh, and insight into your career. In a very indirect way, by telling stories, by you listening to our mistakes. We're not here to kind of preach at you. I don't think either of us have this entirely figured out. But well, by talking to each other, we're going to learn a lot, and I hope you can, you can learn from hearing us. We don't have it figured out, but we're definitely going to preach. <laughs> <laughs> Let's preach for yourself. And I am definitely going to rant, and you will enjoy it. So, what is a freelancer? What, that's who we're, our focus is. That's who, our, who you guys and girls are. The title of our are. first episode. I've got to come up with a better uh, plural that doesn't involve gender. We live in California in the Bay Area. For, for folks' sake, I could, uh, I could, I could figure this out and give it the times. But what were you saying? That was a gendered thing. I said you guys, and I went no, oh, and you girls, wow. and uh, you know what, y'all, everybody, everybody, I really, really <laughs> like y'all for that. So, y'all out there, uh, what is a freelancer? A freelancer, well, in our industry specifically, a freelancer is somebody who goes it alone, who offers video production services of some kind, not as an employee of another company. Right. Video production being one example of a freelancer, of the sort of thing that you would you'd provide entirely. But I think freelancers are obviously bigger than a single uh, skill set because absolutely. any, any, any uh, sort of job that you take, you're gonna, there's going to yeah. be all kinds of admin, all kinds of other sort of things that come up as far as billing that are involved that you may not anticipate right away and can be some of the quickest ways, I think, 
to fail and fall down right as you're getting started is not being able to see that finish line, to think as soon as that you finish the work that the job is over. That's not the case, right? Yeah. Well, so let's, let's backtrack a sec. So who is a freelancer? Well, A, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a version or a form of freelancer. Uh, freelancers can be individuals. They can even be teams. Um, after a couple of people involved, you start losing your freelance side of things. But generally speaking, um, even, a, even a creative company with four or five people running that can be considered a freelance company. You're not part of a major studio in Hollywood. You're not part of a large network up here. You don't work for ABC. You're not a division of somebody. You're not, uh, let's say, one of the large tech companies like an Adobe or an Intel. You're not their internal marketing. You're not their internal video production team. You're your own separate company. Right. If somebody else is paying for your health insurance and that person is not your spouse or your parents, <laughs> then, then you're a freelancer. Yeah. yeah <laughs> almost, almost always. So in our industry, that covers makeup artists, editors, gaff, uh, DPs, pr- production specialists. I myself set am decorator. a producer. Set decorator. Um, I mean, it, it literally is, is, is everything. Prop makers, prop masters. Um, yeah, everything. And who hires you guys? Let's talk about that for a sec. Because uh, that encompasses everybody. But who... who as freelancers, are we supposed to look at? Right. I think I think for what I've seen in my own experience, there's basically two or three types of people that hire you, right? One, the most obvious is an agency. Agencies hire freelancers is what they're known for. That's where you should probably go and work if you want big jobs. If you're a freelancer and you're just starting out, getting into an agency is, is very tough. So you probably fall into the, one of the two latter categories, which is working for a contracting company which is like freelancing for a larger company who then is like a staffing agency. And the third is kind of friends and family almost. You know, it's like somebody comes to you with a job. Hey, my cousin's getting married or whatever. You know, can you do this thing? Or I know somebody, that, I know that you do video. Will you do this sort of thing? Very offhand, very indir- or very direct, rather, way, way of dealing with somebody. And I think that third one, I think, is where I kind of cut my teeth as a freelancer. Is that the same for you? So that third one is exactly where I cut my teeth as a freelancer. My first gig within the video production world uh, actually came from, uh, through my father. He worked at a large tech company, and some people at that tech company needed some video work, and they, you know, who knows, who knows somebody? And all I know somebody, he called my buddy, uh, who had just graduated film school and said, well, we need a film you know, production specialist or we need a cinematographer. And he went, okay. And then he called me and said, dude, I, I don't know how to do business. So it was this hilarious roundabout way that my father reached out to somebody I knew. That person then reached back out to me. Uh, it, you know, all this is on behalf of somebody else. Right. <laughs> uh, but that's how, your, that's how your network works. I mean, uh, as a side note here, that's one of the most important things uh, as a freelancer is your network and carefully, uh, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like watching a, a plant grow. It's like it's actually it's like caring for a plant. You are constantly. It's like a bonsai tree. You are constantly trimming and pruning and adjusting little things to make that network grow and thrive, but also in the direction and shape that you want it to. In this case, um, right. Sometimes the weather, you know, snows and a branch falls off. You know, that's natural. That's fine. But you don't want to go up there with a chainsaw and start hacking it off and thinking just because the branch is growing out sideways, it's not growing up. No, it has. You have to grow sideways sometimes. Yeah. You know? Although I will say that metaphor. Uh, uh, is an interesting one going out and chopping things off of the you know sometimes you actually do depends like I, I've, I don't know, no I'll put this this way this, well this will come Our up in later branch. episodes yeah. well no and, and exactly I've had rotting branches I have had to chop off branches that had an entire network of people attached to them but right. because the main 
problem was with the branch itself. I just lost all of them. And it, and in order to prevent the trunk from rotting, I cut the branch off. And it's a good metaphor. We'll get back to it uh, uh, later right. on. When you, when you need to cut off a part of your network, yeah. when that's important. But obviously, yeah. trying to enhance that network is so huge. Yeah. I wanted to go and ask. The guy that called you to work for your dad or, or so, that your dad knew, was he also a freelancer in some well, sense? Well, at that point, he had literally just graduated from film school, was looking around to see what he should do, got an immediate freelance job off of it. And as I was saying, this is a huge part of, of building your network is I had cultivated a friendship with him and done some film work with him when he was younger, when we were in like middle school. And then gone to college and then failed at a couple of businesses, but had a bunch of business experience. And that caused him, out of all of the four or five probably friends he could have gone to for this, it made sense to call me because I had business experience. And yeah, you could say, well, maybe it was because he was your dad. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that had nothing to do with it, to be perfectly frank. I was his only friend who'd opened and tried to run a business before. <laughs> uh, and he had only film school knowledge. I had no film school knowledge. And at the beginning, it actually made a really good pair. As friends go, we, we didn't we didn't work out very well, so it hurt the business over time, and we ended up uh, parting ways after a while. But as a business relationship went, uh, as a freelancer, that was the, the biggest, earliest lesson I learned is partner with people who compliment. And when I say compliment you, I mean compliment with an E, not an I. Um, somebody whose uh, who's abilities or capabilities uh are a yin or a yang to yours. Right. Mine were business and writing and kind of kind of creative. His were creative, but they were more in a cinematograph cinema cinematographic way. Um, he was really good with a camera. Really good with uh, had really good eye for you know uh, visuals, rule of thirds, things like that. Let's talk about why that works. Why you need a yin to your yang though. And and and. and what he didn't have on him was was business sense, and not just oh I don't know how to cross T's and dot I's and fill up paperwork, but I don't know where to start with a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, he'd been asked for a TIN. He didn't know what that was. TIN being a tax identification number, or off, often uh, referred to as EIN, employee uh, employment identification number. We had to form an LLC. Uh, the initial thing we just uh, he didn't know what to do or how to do that, and uh, was going to do a sole proprietorship. Except for the initial gig was so huge and the liability was so big on it, I I pushed him into no 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 this is a multi this is tens of thousands of dollars we need liability protection we're going to form an LLC right uh, we'll okay. get into why that is later um, but the point being is he. Without that, uh, so I've, I've had similar situations where I've tried to partner with other people since him, and they've been very good at what I do. And you're like, oh, oh this is a person they know. It's, it's like almost in relationships. You know, they, they love all the same things I love. We do right. all, all the same things. Seems We're, natural. It seems natural, right? What you find is, like with the next girlfriend I had, we both loved the rippled, uh, folded over chips in the kettle, kettle uh, <laughs> cooked chips bags or whatever, right? Yeah. And I, this is in our first early on in the relationship. We're both trying to take those and those are really the only ones we really want and she's getting mad at me and I'm getting mad at her because those are the ones that I like and those are the ones that she's like and we have a half a bag of chips nobody <laughs> wants to eat. Well, it's the same thing with freelancing. If he's a cinematographer and I'm a cinematographer and we both have minor skills in other areas, we're both going to be fighting over who gets to shoot this. Right. Every single project. And sometimes <laughs> it's not even like there could be an infinite number of chips there, but it's like now, who is shooting better, right? And then it becomes competitive. Exactly. Where you're, you're like going up against, well, why am I not shooting this one? You know, I, I really like to shoot too, or whatever. But I think yeah. if you have an internal competition that starts to happen, not only do you not have the full rounded skill set that you need to run a business or in any sort of enterprise, but you're, you're fighting each other too. Exactly. 
you don't have any partners, unlike me. I've almost exclusively had a partner the entire time I've been doing this. 12 years, 2005. Oh. <laughs> um, but you've been doing this for well, almost a year now, yeah. seven, eight months, something yeah. like that. You haven't had a partner, and you didn't initially go at one, and I... I've only had a business partner since... Well, that's not true. I did initially go after one. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I contacted a friend that I had in Oakland that I went to school with. Uh, when he was on the college newspaper with me, and uh, he was a, a photojournalist, and I have was kind of started the multimedia department, so I was really into video at the time. We never really worked together, but I always loved the photos he took, and I kept up with him, and because he also was in the Bay Area, I hit him up. I knew he was out of work, and I said, you know, let's let's start our own thing. Let's 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 make a little video production team. We'll do documentaries, short short documentaries, because he, he really wanted to get into the uh, San Francisco Chronicle. He was he, he really wanted to get in the paper again. You know, we both kind of had that background, so it was natural for us to sort of aim at that. And we had found that the Chronicle had a section called the Regulars, which was about these ordinary guys, ordinary people that live in the area that don't hardly ever get any attention, right? But now a newspaper's coming to them and they're telling this story. I love these videos. And I thought they, I put them on a pedestal. You know, like the New York Times opinion documentaries. I was like, these are the best of the best video journalism things going on out there. So we, we tried to model our video after that. He had found somebody. We ended up collaborating and doing one video together that did eventually get into that regular section, right? And it was like one of these things that it was such a huge, it was the biggest achievement I'd had since moving to California personally, other than maybe landing my first job. But <laughs> what happened was the paper pays like $400 total for the thing, right? And we'd put so much work into this and he's starving more than I am. So I'm letting him take it. And, and the next time that they ask him for a job, they want him to do it all. They want him to shoot and edit it and all this stuff. And we had originally broken it up like you do with a partnership. He was a better shooter. I was a better editor. So that was how we told the story. And since then, I don't, I don't think, I mean, he, he has had success doing that, but it's, it's definitely been a struggle. And I think it's kind of split us apart where it's like I've, I've taken the opportunity to try to earn as much money as I can. And he's, he's stuck with it. And I, I do feel bad about it. I feel like this is the sort of thing I need to rededicate myself to <laughs> because that's that's really what I want to do, you know, as a, as, as a creator is tell these true stories. But, <laughs> yeah, awesome. so I, I definitely tried to get a partner. I didn't stick with it. We, we tried to form this little thing. I got real excited. I designed a logo. I bought, like, a web address, all the things you do when you're ready to, like, go. We're going to call it Corner Story, like mm -hmm. Neighborhood Stories, Corner Story. And it's a good name. Yeah, I, I think uh, it, there's definitely still some potential there. It just needs needs some more love and time, nurturing. Most things do. Uh, that's a huge hallmark of this business. All right, that's great. Let's go emulate that. And we'll go do exactly that. Now, occasionally, some people are you know jump out of the gate and you're and you're amazed. They blow everyone away and are Steven Spielberg on their first film. <laughs> that's pretty rare. Even Steven Spielberg might turn around and say, yeah, I wasn't Steven Spielberg on my first film. So don't feel, that's, that's a side of it real quick, don't feel like if you're not as good as the best people out there, like I'm 34, about to turn 35, I haven't made Star Wars yet. <laughs> George Lucas had. You know, people have that story, uh, Steven Spielberg climbed over a fence and cut, carved himself in office and... Don't worry about that as a freelancer. You're you're gonna carve your own path. So yeah, everybody has their own <laughs> dream. You're never gonna make Star Wars, Chris. Yeah, right, <laughs> it's yeah. already been done. Yeah. and you gotta have that vision, right? If yeah. you, if you don't believe that, you know, if, if that's what you're dead set on, is 
is working on a major motion picture, then freelancing may not be the best. That's what route. I was about to get to. Is so as 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 you've talked about, there's this is passion, there's this thing you want to do, but it's it's something that you can do freelance. It's, you can go out and tell stories on your own and these small bite-sized documentary pieces. But if your passion was to be an editor on the next Star Wars, you don't have a choice. Freelancing is not the role for you. It's not the career for you. You need to go find a studio. And work your way up from the bottom because that's how that works. Right. You're not you're not working as a motion graphic designer or a, you know a still graphic designer, and then all of a sudden putting artwork in the MoMA. You know that those are two different sort of enterprises. And I think working for Hollywood in that is is a totally different thing than what yeah. we do as freelancers here in the Bay Area. Absolutely. Well, so Although we both love film. We, yeah. both, we both love you know narrative film and have, have tried to to nurture that part of it. I think. That's, that's very much a common thread amongst freelancers is a desire to do the sort of work they do for a living in an artistic and creative way yeah. also. You know, they have to understand Absolutely. there's a balance there. Absolutely. I think it's, it's interesting to see. So you, I guess we're on a new, new topic now at this point. So one of the things that I would, I would move on uh, or move into here is as a freelancer, and this is, this is right along the, on the lines of this, is stop what you're doing. Drop what you're doing and go to L.A. if your goal is to, sh- is to work on Hollywood movies. If your goal is to Quentin Tarantino your way into the studios, fine. Do whatever you're going to do. But understand that you are never going to get a network to look at you until after you've made a multi-million dollar film. So those are two sides of that. If you're going to go to L.A., drop what you're doing and go now. Don't screw around for four or five or nine or 12 years because you're not building anything up here. You can't build a reputation in L.A. while working in San Jose. So w- is that what you would also tell all the people in the Midwest and everybody everywhere else in the country? Where did you move from? I moved from St. Louis. I, I didn't necessarily how, move. How much film production was going on in St. Louis? You know, it's it's similar to San Jose. It's yeah. it's very it's much corporate, a, a camp, industrial, similar market, yeah. commercial. Once in a great while, an actual movie comes through. Everything else is a bunch of hacks trying to make short films, mm-hmm. um, or maybe an indie film. Here so you're there. not a believer in the whole internet. Ha- internet has democratized the industry at all. You're very not, much in that not, local network. Not for somebody and, who wants to make the next Transformers or yeah. work on it. If you want to work on Hollywood films, where do people hire people to work on Hollywood films? Right. Do they go to St. Louis and, and look around? Do, do scouting agents come out there for editors? <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily buy into that entirely. I it's think difficult to... So I told this story, I think, maybe once or twice in the past, um, and I don't know if you've heard it or not, but... Uh, when I lost my pizza restaurant, so I I, uh, I went out of college and I opened a pizza restaurant because I had been delivering pizza for four and a half years, had learned a lot about the business from one of my mentors. Uh, I worked at a place for two years mentoring under this guy for a while. Totally got arrogant. I'm going to go straight out on my own. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to go pizza restaurant here. And I lost that restaurant, and for six and a half months, I was in I was in Riverside. I went to UC Riverside uh, for business school. I don't know why, but I did. 
I changed it to a comparative literature degree, and then I opened a pizza restaurant. It was very random, but I was living in Riverside, and I knew a handful of people I'd met at college over the course of that. But on top of this, since it had been my fifth year in college, most of them had graduated and moved back onto their lives, which weren't in Riverside, where nobody wants to build anything. Right. Describe Riverside just very briefly. Very briefly. Riverside. uh, So all UC schools have a big yellow C somewhere on their campus. Uh, Riverside's claim to fame was that their yellow sea was the biggest of all UC campuses and was on the mountain that was technically still part of their campus directly behind campus. It was maybe a quarter mile away from the back half of campus, maybe almost a full mile from the front of campus. And on a regular basis, in fact, for about nine months of the year, because of where Riverside is situated east of L.A., all smog from L.A. blows into the East uh, Valley in California, where Riverside's brown mountains capture it like a big glove, like a big catcher's mitt, <laughs> and it just kind of sits there. So on most days when it's hot, you can't actually see the mountains from the smog. And I'm not joking, you literally can't see the sea on the mountain three-quarters of a mile away. That is an hun- it's like a hundred-foot sea. The giant yellow sea, and you can't see this. It, this you're is not, not a place close to the beach. You're, this not, isn't... you're 75 miles from the closest beach. You are not interested in moving to or living <laughs> in Riverside. Okay, thanks. So, that aside, my point being is I had uh, I'd cl- I'd lost a pizza restaurant. It was a failed business, uh, and I was now $35,000 in debt in 2005, so that's like $60,000, $70,000 Inflation hasn't gone that crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, it, it's not an inflation thing. It's a restauranteuring thing. So the me getting into that and the kind of debt I had from that, yes, 12 years ago, we're probably talking, well, maybe closer to fifty. Anyway, my point being is, for those listening to this, I was in a lot of debt. And so I had taken the route that was the most obvious and available to me, and I took two minimum wage jobs. I worked at a gas station, uh, Circle K, and I worked back at the pizza restaurant I had quit to open my own. uh, With my tail humbly between my legs, taking all the deliveries I could. And after about six and a half months of this, paid probably, because I was being frugal at the time, had paid maybe a third of my debt down already because um, it was, well, I guess I have no life. I'm going to work 17 hours a day and any other hours I can get and I'll take five, off, five, hours, five hours off a week for myself, watch some TV and pass out on the couch. Uh, so after like six months, I'd paid off a pretty good chunk of this debt, but I'd also gotten really depressed and realized I barely know anyone here. I don't have any family or friends around. I'm not building anything. I'm not going to school anymore. I'm miserable and I'm working two minimum wage jobs. Well, I could, in a, in a crappy city where I don't know anyone, I could be doing that in a city where all my friends and family are. Yeah, let's do that. That's my point in saying, what on earth are you doing screwing around up here for the next two, three, four, five, ten years going, oh, I'm going to make my way into Hollywood. I'm, I'm going to make my way into Hollywood. I did that myself until I realized, A, yeah, if I want to do that, i got to move to Hollywood. But I have to move there with a specialty. My specialty is production management, which means I can't move to Hollywood and do anything there other than take mm-hmm. a job at a studio. Well, I like running my own business. I like having my own studio, especially now that I've had one for seven years. And it was, you know, a year or two into this, into the first time I did a studio, I realized I really like doing this. And I can't do this in L.A. because it's already flooded with studios and people who know right. how to do this better so than me. Yeah. There's not a lot of it up here. How about I make a production studio? So for me, it made sense to stay up here. For the rest of you, just like with my pizza restaurant job, why be miserable working a crap job when you could go to where you're trying to be and work a crap job? 
Don't give yourself excuses of, well, but I know people here. Ah, but, ah, but. No one in Missouri is hiring for the next Michael Bay film. No one. No one in San Jose is hiring for the next Michael Bay Tarantino film. film. I don't yeah. know. Whatever. They're not. I mean, and yeah, maybe there's, like I said, once in a while you get that one. You see that thing on Facebook. And it gives you hope and you're like, yeah, yeah, our industry. And you're like, and then don't. What, you're going to wait around six more months for the one audition or the one interview or the one thing that pops up, and the rest of the time you're going to be floundering around with commercial work, corporate work, and stuff that you don't want to do, and a bunch of free short films or right. student films that you don't like. Yeah. So, so, so here's the thing. What, what Chris is talking about is actually, it might seem dire. It may seem, it may seem like the sort of thing like, oh, I can't afford to go to L.A. I can't make this happen. My dreams will never come true now, right? All right. They're not going to come I'm, true here if you stay here. <laughs> I have I have accepted the fact that I will not work in Hollywood, that that is not a dream of mine. It has never really been a dream of mine, even though I went to film school. And yeah, so many want. people said, you should go to Hollywood. Why are you in California if you're not in Hollywood, right? It's That's not the point, right? I, I never really was drawn to be a Michael Bay, you know, sort of yeah. coffee bringer on the set for five <laughs> years. And, I, and go through that whole rigmarole, it just, I just never really appealed to me because I wanted to get my hands dirty with the work. I wanted yeah. to be doing stuff, you know. Know? And that's the sort of thing. All these other filmmakers in our industry, they flock down to L.A. where there's so much competition. They can't work. They end up, you know, some some people strive through. They get through in five, six years. You know, they're really doing some stuff. You may have a little bit of envy at that point because you're looking at them like, oh, maybe I could have put in that hard work. But what you haven't realized or what you maybe have realized is that there's been a wealth of opportunity there for the people who have creative talents and filmmaking abilities in the places where... It's not a film hub, you know? And so there's opportunity to build and grow. Like, Chris has started up a screen, you know, uh, showing here to help put local filmmakers' films up on a big screen so they can see it. They're not the greatest films in the world. Some of them are pretty terrible, right? But the point is, is that you're getting it out there in front of people. You're able to kind of show it off a little bit, which is so important. So even though those people, like, aren't in Hollywood, I still think those filmmakers are important, right? I think I think that they have valuable things to say. So it's like I, I love local film so much that it's hard for me to like want to promote that everybody who has a dream should go to LA because I don't want to lose all those talent in like their pockets of the country, right? Fair enough. But so let me follow that up. That being said, me say, me yelling at you, go to LA, go to LA, go to LA, go to <laughs> LA. What are you still doing here? That's for all the people who want to go do that. If your goal, if your pride, if your passion, and I, I didn't know this until I got into it. I love storytelling. I love writing. I love making zombies films and fantasy films with magic and whatever. And, and stories like that. I'm a nerd. I'm a dork. Yeah. But what I didn't know I was going to really enjoy because I didn't know enough about being a storyteller was what kind of stories I was going to enjoy telling. And it turns out... I really enjoy telling a lot of different type of stories, mm-hmm. and I'm okay with letting, I keep using his name, but I'm okay with letting Michael Bay shoot Transformers and me shoot, you know, a documentary about a friend, uh, artist trying to do something, or, uh, or a, a fun movie about zombies that you make in a garage. Zombies that make in my garage. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but, well, more importantly, I found I really enjoy the corporate commercial side, and for me... And here's the tipping point for a lot of us, I think. Go to L.A. if you don't care about the, and this isn't a negative, but if you don't care about the tangible results 
uh, of what you're doing. Because if you're working on, if you're even if you're directing or producing it, all the way down to some random electric, you know, grip and electric guy on 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 a side shoot for a pickup scene, the tangible uh, results from what you're doing are you've made people happy, you've entertained. That is the entirety of the tangible results of you working on some big sure. Hollywood film. Now, granted, you could say, oh, no, no, but it made this much money. It did blah, blah, blah. It employed all these people. Sure, 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 sure. Any business project that you do from any business has uh, uh, an income, a profit and loss. It employed people, blah, 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 blah. But in terms of the actual results of what your film does, what happens when you watch a Transformers and Inception uh, singing in the rain? You're entertained. Now, what is the tangible value of that? There isn't one. You cannot quantify, I have been entertained. What you can quantify, when you make a instructional or a tutorial or anything, what you can quantify is how many people you've helped, how many man hours you've reduced a company from having to spend when they send a guy around the country teaching this stuff. Uh, there's tangible result to this. When you're working on a a video for a microscope company and we're talking a video about how to use the microscope. You have a tangible result there. And that's what I found that I love about what we do as freelancers, especially up here in in, in a tech industrial area. Uh, we made these great instructional videos for a ski rental company. Shameless plug, it's my family's ski rental company. And they have problems. Uh, their, their business is very specific to holidays. People go and ski on holidays these days. When I was a kid in the 80s and 90s, uh, people skied all season long, whenever, whenever, whenever. Every weekend was great. Uh, as we got older and more into the tech world, and this is the Bay Area, people ski on three specific days. They ski right around Christmas when they take their Christmas break, so you've got like one week. And then they ski around Martin Luther King, and then they ski at ski break which is a little bit like the president's weekend sort of holiday thing that a lot of schools do. That's it. That's when you get to make your money. So we'll make, we'll have like $2,000 weeks, $5,000 weeks, and then you'll have Christmas week and you make $85,000. And then you'll have Martin Luther King where you make $65,000. And you have President's Weekend where you make $70,000. And that's the entire income for your business for the year because you also shut down at the end of the ski season. Um, so we made videos for these guys and because during these these extreme intense weeks you have and and not only that but people are going skiing for a week people are going skiing for a weekend Martin Luther King weekend you have 3 days everyone picks up their skis Thursday not Wednesday not Tuesday not not Monday because we charge for those days so literally everyone picking up their skis for a $65,000 ski weekend comes into this 1000 square foot store on Thursday and they stand in line out the door to get their skis and get fitted and do all this sort of stuff. And okay. you've got as many techs as you can in the uh, in the shop helping people. Well, we made all these videos that explain to the people standing in line while they're standing in line how to fit themselves for skis, boots, poles, and how to get their measurements ready for the techs. And it saves them something like six or seven hours that day. That's by having you, right. you, like that is a tangible don't have to result. Explain it again and again. And again you exactly. Know. You get to the tech, you hand them your information right then. That's the tangible result of, of industrial, of commercial, of corporate, and I love it. Yeah, I, I can see that too. I think I moved out here with the idea that I would work on startups and do explainer videos. 
that I would do short little animations, 30 second, 60 second motion graphic stuff that would explain complicated things in a very simple way that would allow people to raise money, you know? I had success with, with own kick my own Kickstarters in the past and I thought, you know, I can do this. Well, well and that's what yeah. storytelling is, just briefly, is it's distilling something down. You're explaining, even when you're telling the story about romance, you're explaining in a distilled format an emotional situation. Yeah, yeah, I think if you work in the Bay Area as a creative person in a creative industry, you end up being a sort of translator for all this other tech stuff. And you know, and I, I love the ski example because it's not high tech. Yeah. It's something that you know people should know already. But you put it in a simple way, and it's like, duh, of course I should, you know, lace up my skis after I have it on my foot or something, you know, like that. Whatever. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and, and if you can, if you can find an uh, a way to translate this high tech speak in buzzwords into something that feels like it matters, into something that makes sense to ordinary people, then you have a very valuable skill out here. You know, that that's the sort of translation aspect. You don't even have to be an editor or you can be a producer with that sort of skill. You yep. know, a writer, copywriter. There's yeah. a lot of need for that out here. Go to LA if you want to do LA films. If you want to do everything else in film, and that's the thing that I also tell people all the time is film is an iceberg. What everyone sees when they're uh, watching a film on the big screen at AMC or whatever, they're seeing the small tip of the iceberg. They don't even see the tip of the iceberg. They're seeing like the peak on the tip of the iceberg. Right. The rest of film goes all the way down to, as I, I mentioned, doctor videos and stuff. I remember bidding on something quite a few years ago, uh, and it was... It was a very technical bid to deal with... Before, before you get on that, I just want to finish your analogy. I think that makes total sense about the tip of the iceberg, especially when you think about the credits. When you look at the credits, that is the yeah. bottom of the iceberg, right? I mean, think about how long that takes and how many names, you know? Well, and look at that. When you look at those credits, something like 70% of the credits you see are companies that, are, that exist every day, not just for that film, and do non-Hollywood film stuff. Maybe not 70, like half of those those names are on there. Those are businesses that do like, maybe they, maybe it's, it's a little old school and they were using real film, and those are processing companies. They process film for everybody. They don't care that it's a Hollywood film. They process film that goes into so the micro microfilms when we wanted, uh, we used to save documents by taking pictures of them. <laughs> um, because you could save them in microscopic format on a piece of uh, a negative. Um, and that's an old school version of that, but think about everything you do. Your phone involves video work. You have a camera on that, yep, there's somebody, there's a video department at some company that's dealing with the video on your phone. Your doctor wants to go see oh something God. Video in your, engineering is, is right? a whole nother level. I went to one of these meetups in San Francisco that was like San Francisco video engineering meetup. I was like, okay, cool, let me check this out. That was so far over my head. It was it was like nonsense, you know? It was like all this, like, what makes live streaming work? You know, I never even considered all this stuff that, like, makes all video work. And I'm like, this is what my whole life is built upon. <laughs> I don't understand the foundational, like... Well, yeah, think about it. We want to uh, video work. I want to see inside your colon. Guess who had to invent a camera to go in your poop shoot? Somebody, that was video production work, but on top of that, you think about the technical aspects of figuring out how to make that camera function. It's got to be the size of a pin. 
and still give relevant information. And that, an, that information has to be translated and interpreted. That has to be correlated. There's also, I mean, I was talking about a bid that we gave, and it was a very technical bid for, it was something like that. It wasn't, it was, I think it was a endoscopy or arthroscopy or something like that. So it was going into blood vessels. But it had, it was a bid about doing all these videos where all our job was going to be was to take the footage that they got from this and translate it and edit it into meaningful pieces for other doctors. There is nothing entertaining about that in the slightest, except for me. I found it vastly entertaining just looking at the sample stuff going, I want to edit this. This is cool. <laughs> That's the, the, the iceberg that goes out there. People, I have a time lapse going right now on a construction site. Uh, it has been going for a year and a half. And that's a construction site, and all they, that's all video work. You know what they want to see? Work stoppages, what caused this problem, where something was left on a certain day. It's all video work. It has nothing to do with entertainment or telling a story. Even. I mean, it is telling a story. I'm telling the story of where that piece of equipment went today. <laughs> uh, but, as I, yeah, as you said, iceberg. What you watch in the theater is this tiny, tiny little piece of the film world. Right, and th- th- that's, that's kind of what every freelancer is too you know like when i say i'm an editor that's kind of the tip of the iceberg you know we are sort of general specialists in the way you know we're not going to create the technology that makes a cell phone work as a freelancer you need a team for that you need a dedicated research lab of of you know you need to be focused on that you're not going to be able to do that in freelance capacity so i think you know that's sort of the other other token too is like if you want to be a great scientist or you want to be a great part of something else go to an institution you know go work well, for a company bef- that you want to work we, for before we get too far to telling you to go back to work for somebody else <laughs> um Form Leave the market open for Chris and I, okay? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> what we're saying is form a team. Understand that even as a freelancer, as an independent agent, you're nothing without your team, and you have to have a team. I spent five years with a team of two, and the other half of my team, honestly, he didn't want to meet anybody. He didn't want to network. He didn't want to go out and try to do, try to do stuff. It, it, was this, it was this wall of let's not talk to other people. But don't you think this is kind of a confusing? We're saying that like freelancers work alone, but you need to have a team. Like it, as soon as you have a team, are you a company? Uh, that's the, the frustrating uh, problem and, and sometimes solution and sometimes great love that is freelancing is that you get to do it all yourself. And that sucks sometimes, but it's awesome sometimes, right? Sometimes you got to do everything yourself. You got to get all the paperwork, all the taxes, all the filings, all the permits, all the this and all that. And I got to put this team together and I got to. And then at the end of the day, it's all my effort and work going into this. And granted, yes, your team is why you're you didn't do the camera work necessarily. But at the end of the day, as a producer, for instance, I get to look at that and go, ah, that's all me. That's not like me. And then I got to throw MGM's name on it. That's me and my name, and that's it. And nobody else gets to claim that. That's one of the best parts about it, and it's probably one of the only best parts about it. <laughs> uh, but that's that is a big difference. I mean, but again, why? But I, I guess what I'm, I'm saying is, it seems like the team aspect is more important when you're a producer, a freelance producer, than it is when you're necessarily like just a graphic designer. Or Not an at all. As a graphic designer, here's the thing. It's maybe less of a team sometimes and more of a network. So, yes, as a graphic designer, you don't need someone to help you graphic design. As a producer, I need someone to help me run a camera and run audio and et cetera. And as an editor, you're like, I need someone to give me direction. That's about it. Footage, yeah. One (laughs) Footage and direction. Uh, I need a client, largely. And if it's an unqualified client, I need a director. Those are the two things you need as an editor. Um, 
but you still need a team. You need a reliable group of assets that you that you can go to. Uh, as an editor, when somebody says, hey, can we do this or add this? Yes, you can one-man band it and say, yeah, let me pull my DSLR out of the closet and throw it on a, my my cheap Sackler tripod and we'll throw out my, my the one time I bought Kinos or something like that or whatever. You know, I got some, some auction Kinos or something like that. Sure. You do your thing. Or you do what a more professional person does and you go, yeah, let me get you my DP. And right. then you just hand it off to that guy and you say, you do this for me. Right. And maybe you have an arrangement with him, you get a percentage of it, or whatever the case is. But what you end up result, uh, presenting to the client is a polished, clean-looking piece as opposed to something that was really good on the editing, but then you had to add a couple of pickup shots. The pickup shots were you doing one on band, and you're not the greatest EP, but you kind of got it. You totally. You I have this, yeah. this faltering. And that's when you look at professional work, that's what it is. It's, it's the polishing. It's the little pieces everywhere. Right. That was one thing that I realized when I first became a freelancer was, you know, yeah, it's very important what you say no to because people need to understand what you can do for them. And if you start saying yes to everything, you're going to stretch yourself too thin and you're going to find yourself in, in water that's too deep and you're going to be struggling to keep your head above the water and you're going to disappoint your client, you're going to disappoint yourself and it's going to be bad because you're probably going to lose that client and you're going to feel really down on yourself as well. So you don't, you don't want to do that. You need to figure out what do I say no to and the things that I say no to, how can I help my client find somebody that will say yes. You know, how can I recommend somebody or how can I hire somebody to make this job possible? I know you have a great story about, you know, going out there and saying, all right, we're going to make this job happen. Even though I don't have the tools now, I'm saying yes to this job <laughs> and I'm going to go out and make it happen. And, and you know, that, that's what that's crucial. My, my current business partner uh, thinks that's an embarrassing story. The project that both pushed me to found a studio and was in some capacity the beginning of the end of me and my original business partner. We had a group from London call us. They had, I mean, I was sitting in my living room, you know, beer bottles on the table uh, late at night. I mean, it must have been two or three in the morning, something like that. Because I'm a night owl, what like a lot of us are. I'm a night owl. I do my best editing at night, but I also do my best screwing around at night. Um, so probably two or three in the morning, and I get a phone call from one of those phone numbers that is like, what? This must be from another country. Ah, screw it. I'll answer it. On a total whim. Answered it. It turns out it was a marketing firm, like the third biggest marketing firm in London at the time, calling for a video production team for a shoot in two weeks. Would we be interested in taking the uh, the bid because every other production team she's called so far in the Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area, and this is a woman from London, so that means about a 400-mile radius. Maybe not that. <laughs> it, it, I mean, she was probably calling everywhere from Salinas to Marin. Um, it was like, no one will take our money, or no one will take our job, no one will take our money. <laughs> no one will take our money, right. No, no, no she, said, she said, no one will take our job, no one will take our money. I remember that distinctly, and I just was like, in my head went, well, I'll take your money. Um, <laughs> I, what do you want me to do? And she outlined what we needed to do, and I knew how to do about two of the nine things, but I recognized the, the words on about four of the other nine things. So I was like, eh, 
my business partner went to film school. He ought to help, be able to help me figure out what the rest of this is. You, you weren't shit scared that, that this lady who said everybody else has turned us down is calling you and you don't know even what she's talking the about. The best part is I'm realizing while we're on this conversation that she has, in order to find us, she has literally gone through every single production company on Google until she found us four pages down. Nice. Yeah. I mean, we, whoever gets to the fourth page, Who gets right? to the fourth page? <laughs> and then actually hires somebody. <laughs> so I said, yeah, we can do that. Um, and then I hung up the phone, almost shit myself, and went to bed going, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Got up the next morning, called my then business partner, said, please define some of these terms for me because I don't know what they are. <laughs> and Google's just given me a very generic description that doesn't help me in the context of this particular client. He basically flipped his lid that I had accepted the job from the client. <laughs> it was the largest job we'd ever accepted at the time, um, except for our first job, which was a giant job to get in that tech company. Um, and we never had a job that big again, uh, partly because of us being not knowing how to freelance. So, uh, but anyway, anyway, it was a huge job. It was a huge job. Landed in your lap. Landed you in couldn't our lap. say no. I couldn't say no. And I went out and I figured out how to do it. I went out and I figured out how to do it. And that's what you do for a lot of these things. And I don't know why we started talking about that job, but that's what you do. Yeah, that's why we started talking about that job is because, oh, okay. yeah, you have to sometimes, like, say... Oh, saying yes? Yeah. Saying no. So there are things you say yes and no to. That was one of the... There's a difference between saying yes to something that you're unqualified and un incapable of doing and yes to something that you know you should be able to do, you just haven't done before. Right. Yeah, and it's it's if you have the courage to say yes and that you know you can hire somebody else, that's fine, right? That's what you do as a producer. That's what you do as a freelancer. You take problems off your client's plate. You don't say, oh, well, we're going to need to get a camera and a tripod and all this stuff. And you're like, don't burden your client with that. They are giving you a problem. You figure out the solution, right? That's if you could job. be like, I got this. Great. Oh, my God. Yeah. She takes that off your plate. Then you immediately go into her mode. You take all that stress off her back and you're like, I need somebody right now to help me figure this out. Exactly. And if the if the budget's big enough and you know people who can work for that, then you know you make that happen. I had never heard the term dresser. In her, it, it, there, there's slight different, there's slightly different uh, words used in terminology between England and America. Okay. Not much, but there's a couple of slight terms. And she or, didn't mean like a costume dresser. Terms. She meant set dresser. Okay. And she only said dresser. And so I, just, I, I, and I didn't want to have to ask them, what do you mean? Because at the time, I didn't even know enough about our industry to know that there were actually different terms between the UK and the US, and it was okay. They wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the most embarrassing thing to ask a UK person, uh, what are you referring to when you say dresser? Because it could mean set dresser. It could, you know, it could mean maybe costume dresser or right. something like that. I, I wasn't really sure, but again, had never even worked with one. Didn't know what one was. Yeah. Never been to film school. Yeah. But there were things like that that I went, eh, all you're asking me to do, and this is what I did. I pulled back after, like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wrote all the notes down, looked at it, went, I don't know what any of that is. Pulled back and went, yeah, but what I'm reading is you're asking me to hire people in this industry who are qualified to do the things that you've that their, that their job description says. Okay. 
I have a business partner who went to film school. So bare minimum, he knows what the terms are and what these people do and what they are. And he'll be able to at least get me started on the right path to finding them. While I have no clue how I'm going to do that, I do know that this is an easily accomplishable task and that I can accomplish it in the next few days. However, you did say this was the end of that relationship with it that was. business partner. It was. take us to that part so, of the story? So this started the end of that relationship partly because after this project, we ended up knocking the project out of the park for the most part. I, I made one goof on the final day. It was one of those, like, final day, final okay, thing, let's final hear the thing. No, no, I just... All right. Well, final, last thing we're doing is we're driving them to the very last uh, place that we need to grab one little pickup shot, and then my chauffeurs that I've hired them, that I've hired for the day, are taking them to the airport. Uh, don't hire your friends as, sh- as chauffeurs <laughs> if they don't understand the job. They're like, you want to hit this, man? No, no, no. I had to fire my first chauffeur on the first day of that gig because their producer did not appreciate his attitude, which was okay for an American, but I learned that in the UK, if you are, quote-unquote, beneath that person's pay grade, if you will, uh, you do not talk to them with disrespect period. No matter what, you are the fucking chauffeur. You are the driver. I'm allowed to be a jerk I don't to know you. if that's entirely a UK thing, but there are certainly that was people the in the way world it who was feel treated that. With them. Yeah. And I, clients, I talked with a couple clients, of like, you should assume that, right? And, and that was, yeah, maybe it was kind of one of those things. You treat your client well, with like, I say that royalty the, respect. I say that about the UK only. And yes, that's true too. It was also a client-client thing. But in our case, he was kind of, it was just a little bit of argument like, well, no, blah, blah. And it was like, you excuse me? I'm a producer. You're a driver. Shut up. That was basically her attitude. And mm-hmm. it was discussed with me by a couple of other people. Yeah, it's a little more class-based in the UK. <laughs> you go to you you go to a you get a graduate degree to be like a grip. And I was like, what? They're like, yeah, you get a graduate degree to be a grip. There's like class-based film system over there, much more so than it is over here. Oh, and like when you're a grip, you're a grip. You're you're one of the low people. Um, so that was that. But uh, side note on that. So anyway, so. During this, this, we knocked it out of the park. The last thing I did is I mean, we're going to the last, the very last shoot, and then the driver's going to take him off to the airport. And I think I know where I'm going, so I don't use GPS. And we make like four U turns in the course of 15 minutes, take like an extra 15 minutes to get to where we're going. And you can tell by the time we get there, because she's in the other car, she's just livid that we didn't go straight to the damn place. And I'm like, Chris, why didn't you just use your stupid GPS? That was dumb. Anyway, um, so I don't think I got a good review from her. Knocked it out of the park the entire rest of the week. Yeah, it's last, so tough. Last yeah, little that thing. Last moment and what I left her with was yet. a really bitter taste in her mouth because the last thing I did was was make a mistake. and So she flew home on a plane like an hour later the entire time with me negative in her head. It was like, that's first impression and last impression. Something nobody ever talks about is last impression. Oh, last impression is so important. So important. If they get, even if you screwed up the first impression, if they get on that plane with a smile on their face as you're leaving because you've knocked it out of the park, the rest of them, you had, you've had, a, they didn't have a choice but to continue working with you. You knocked it out of the park the entire week, and then the last thing you did was impress them, and they went in there. You've got a much better chance of salvaging that fir- that bad first impression than if you didn't do that. Totally. When I said at the earlier part of the show, y- if you you know don't realize the finish line, you can you can really. Fuck up, you yeah. know, for the lack of a better <laughs> term. You, you really need to have that idea of where the job ends. And yeah. that is when you drop your client off of the plane or when you finally get the 
paycheck. No, sometimes, or, you know, see, like it's not over until you're paid. Sometimes it's past that. I left stuff in a hotel room for a client once that they were going to. I was never going to see them again. And I got into the front desk. I was like, put this nice little basket up there with a little note for me on there. And it was the last thing that they saw when they went to their hotel hotel room two days later when they hadn't seen me in a day. It was a bas- gift basket from me and my company. And I got a call from them there <laughs> later you go. on. And you're like, because I went, yep. A little stick it to you in the end, only stick it in a good way. So anyway, <laughs> this this uh, after during this project, their producer kept saying, "Hey, can we go back to your office? Can we go back and make some copies? I just wanted to relax and talk about some stuff." Uh, and I kept having to say, "No, no, no." Uh, well, I uh, 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 because my office was my living room in a one bedroom, six hundred square foot apartment. Uh, with my underwear on the table. I mean, it's just, well, I don't have to describe. I was, I, I was a 25-year-old guy with a crappy, or no, well, actually, I guess 28-year-old guy at this time, with a crappy apartment, um, and it was my office. We're just like you listening to this podcast. <laughs> We're just, just like you listening to this podcast. And uh, that was the first foray or uh, attempt of me uh, to go get a space because I realized I can't do this anymore. I can never be this embarrassed to not take a client back to my studio. I can never have a client be have to have to worm my way around, weasel my way around. No, you can't go back to my office. It's an apartment complex in downtown San Jose well, in the bed area. You did what you had to do. My point being is so that spurred me to open the studio. Mm. I had been working part-time at the ski rental shop. And by the way, this is before my parents bought the ski rental shop. <laughs> um, I'd been working part-time at the ski rental shop and there had been a vacancy in the complex for well over two and a half years. Uh, as most of you are doing right now, you probably have part-time or full-time jobs. What I'll tell you right now is give up the full-time job. You can work this and you can freelance and you can build your career with a part-time job. You can't with a full-time. You will wake up 10 years later going, I've done 10% of the work that everyone else has done to get to where I need to be because I keep dedicating 8 to 9 to 10 hours of my life every day to this other job. Very true. Don't I, do that. I was only given the opportunity to freelance because I was booted by my last company. You know, that, that, <laughs> that was the opportunity. I knew that I didn't want to stay there. I was looking for a reason to leave. They gave it to me. And I didn't have a choice but to take it. And it was frightening. It was, it was like, wow, I should have done this on my own. If I would have jumped on my own, then it would have been in control. Here I am now forced to deal with this and deal with this. It's like sort of like, okay, how much do I even tell people about the situation? Because I don't want to bring up the fact that I was laid off, you know, like, and, oh, that happens all the time in the industry. Don't worry about it. And that's true. You know, yeah. that especially when you're in this sort of industry, a layoff is definitely not the sort of thing that people are like, well, what did you do? Because most of the time yeah. you didn't do anything at all. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of normal stuff in regular industries or, or other industries that are that are big taboos, big no-nos that just don't even mean anything in this industry. It, we'll get to those more as, as podcasts go on, but that's definitely a big one. So uh, decided I would ask the landlord at this place. Yeah, anyway, so I had this other job, was embarrassed that I was uh, not able to placate the producer, went, I need a space, we need a space. Talked to the landlord at this place that I'd been working at part-time. They'd been a vacancy for two and a half years. It's a retail space, but vacancy for two and a half years. I talked to the leasing agent and said, hey, man, I'll give the guy like a thousand bucks a month. Um, yeah, for that space, but I need a space, and you know I'll move out. You know I know it's not close to to market value for it, but it's been vacant for two and a half years, uh, and I'll move out in like two weeks or thirty days or whatever. You know, immediately as soon as you find somebody else who wants to who wants to to take it, and if you want to show it, you're welcome to show it while I'm there. And the leasing agent went, mm, yeah, I guess I'll ask him. And 
then the next morning I had an email from the leasing agent saying, of course, well, yeah, he said yes, here's a contract, um, which was like, well, duh. As an owner, if you own something that hasn't made money for two, three years, and somebody says, I'll make a little bit off of it for you, but um, I'm not going to make the normal rate, uh, and then, if, of course, if somebody offers you the normal rate, you can take it right from me, what would be the reason to say no? Yeah, <laughs> so, anyway, we, we got that spot, and I opened it, I put, started putting my stuff in there, uh, it was pretty small. It was uh, maybe 1,200 square feet or something like that. Just enough to have a couple of little offices and a storage spot and, like, a little tiny shooting gallery for photos. Right. But it was a, it was a place was to a take place your client. to take my client. And I had a friend, like, within the same week call me up that I hadn't spoken to in, like, four years. And, and she was like, oh, I've got this script. I, I, I really want to get into movies. And would, would you produce it for me? And I went... Yeah, sure, why not? I, I, I'm making a decent amount right now. I was, at the time, I was bringing in about $5,000 a month, and I had expenses of about $1,100 a month. So I had a lot of spare cash. that I, it was immediate, That's why I was able to go, eh, I can put $1,000 a month into this space because sure. I, I can go buy some equipment. And it wasn't much. I'd, I'd made a contract. Um, but I opened the space, and she came out, and she started calling some friends, and they called some friends, and they called some friends. And within 30 days, I'd met like 150 people in the film industry had... Uh, been brought on to three different projects as a producer and was just like, oh my God, so you mean networking is how this works? So we're supposed to meet people and do stuff with them? And, right, and which you wouldn't have been able to do if you had a full-time job. You wouldn't if have I'd been able to say yes, you wouldn't have been able to go to any that. of these things. Yeah. The part-time job, and it, well, and granted, I, I shoestring. I made it work for me because it was the spot next to my part-time job that I could uh, go back and forth. And then we grew it from there. One of the, you know, six months later, one of those guys there helped me and just said, hey, let's go for a bigger space. We opened the next studio, the big Santa Clara studio a lot of you may be familiar with. Uh, we did all that production design, all the sets. We built a spaceship. We built the, the war bunker with the 15,000 pounds of dirt that I brought in. It was, it was, we, d I discovered myself and I discovered what I wanted to do and I discovered this, this industry and this career. And what year was that? 2010. What time of year was that? It was the transition. I opened the studio at the end of 2009, beginning of 2010. Okay, so the it was like in the winter. Yeah, the Cupertino studio was in the winter. And in June, we decided to open the new the, the Santa Clara studio at 356 Martin. Uh, and then four and a half, five years in, I ended up closing that. After There's a lot of story to that studio. But I ended up closing that studio four and a half, five years in and taking another year, year and a half to just... No, it wasn't even a year and a half. It was, it was a little less than a year. And I wandered around the Bay Area taking time lapses of the fog rolling in and the clounds and the stars. Yeah. <laughs> Reset myself. Okay, so, yeah, so I think that that's definitely something we want to come back to is when you sort of get so big that you need a place to show your clients that you can't freelance yeah. from home anymore. Yeah. So um, I think we've, we've gone long enough here, so... Um, <laughs> I'm going to save my origin story of, of uh, you know, what I sort of did when I first got out. Uh, for well, tell you show, what, we'll so. begin next cast with your origin story, and that sure. will lead us in a couple, because we've got a couple topics that we'll tell you when we start, but that will lead us towards a couple of those topics as well. Okay, well, thanks for your time, and uh, see you on the next one. Cheers. <laughs>